The new sermon series is entitled Apocalypse Now. That's the new sermon series. It starts next week, and you're going to see that it's actually a, a sequel to this sermon series, and it, it comes right in right after the next verse that we're going to be studying today. But for those who have been here for a while, you know right now we are in the final sermon of a four-week sermon series entitled Religion. It's not what he wanted where Jesus has interactions, conversations, arguments with the religious leaders of his day. And as he has these interactions and arguments, Jesus addresses the aspect of religion versus a relationship with God through the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And today's sermon is entitled, The Scribes, The Scribes. What is religion itself? If we're going to be talking so negatively about religion, as I opened up the entire sermon series by giving a clear definition of what religion is, I want to summarize it and I want to specify it. I want to get very, very intricate as it relates to what I mean by religion in common vernacular. And, and here's what we mean. Religion, my way to happiness, my way to heaven, religion. My way to happiness, my way to heaven. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. But mankind says, thank you very much, Jesus, but I'm going to determine my own way to heaven and my own way to happiness. Anybody here ever heard of the name Michael Bloomberg? Anybody here of Michael Bloomberg? If you raise your hand, how many of you? All right, Michael Bloomberg. He's a, oh, lots of opinions about, seems like some of you are very opinionated. About my, are you from New York? Somebody, no? All right, Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York City for many, many years. I think he's still around, I'm not sure. Uh, but Michael Bloomberg was one day asked about all of the political accomplishments that he's been, he's been working on. And I guess that he was able to pass a lot of laws that he believed were really good for the people of New York City. And I thought it was interesting because he was asked specifically about his political accomplishments, and this was his quote. He said this, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I am not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in because I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. That is a, that is a big statement. That is very bold. I've heard politicians say some Weird stuff. But let me say it again so you understand. I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I am not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. That, that is, that's religion. That is the essence of religion. Now, you might say, well, Michael Bloomberg is not a very religious person. Oh, friend, that's the big misunderstanding that many people have about the world. Just because he doesn't go to a religious ceremony doesn't make him not religious. He is deeply invested in the religion of my way to heaven and my way to happiness. Every single person you know is religious. They just follow different religions. 
Some of it's hedonism, some of it's secularism, some of it's materialism, some of it's Democrat party, some of it's Republican party. By the way, I find both of the parties interesting because if you were to interview the politicians from both sides, I guarantee there would be very famous politicians from both sides who would make the same argument. I have made incredible laws and God is so impressed with the laws I've made, I don't need to stop at the gate to be interviewed by Peter. I'm going straight in. I have earned my place in heaven because of what? What I've done. And it's interesting because many of their laws contradict the other side's laws. But this is humanity. And so you have a choice when it comes to religion. You actually can create your own religion for yourself. A lot of people have done so throughout history. You can create your own religion, and if you're a really good salesman, you can actually convince people to follow your religion. Or you can pick one of the pre-selected many hundreds of religions that are out there, and you can follow one of them, but they all are doing exactly the same thing. They're saying, it's my way to heaven and my way to happiness. That's what religion does. And it's corrupt because Jesus, when he was asked about God, he said, there is only one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but by me. See, the antidote to religion is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Religion is not what he wanted. What he wants is a relationship with you, and the only way he can have that is through Jesus Christ. And in this passage, he ends his conversations with the religious leaders, never to talk with them again throughout his life, and explains what is wrong with religion. So what is wrong with the religion in three words, according to this passage? We're gonna see three words that help describe the rest of this interaction Jesus had with the religious leaders. Here's what's wrong with religion. Number Number one, religion is irrational. Religion number two is ridiculous. And religion number three is harmful. Religion is irrational, ridiculous, and harmful. All from the teachings of Jesus, let's go ahead and see. First and foremost, I would claim that religion is, as I've defined it, my way to God, my way to happiness. It's absolutely irrational. After three rational, logical conversations that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day, they had nothing that they could say to Jesus. They had no argument left. Look at what he says in verse 39. We pick up where we left off last week. Luke 20, verse 39. And some of the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, answered Jesus and said, teacher, you have spoken well. Rabbi, you did well. You said exactly, there's nothing else we can say. But after they had dared not question him anymore, Jesus asked them a question. Jesus says in verse 41, so Jesus says to them, here's a question I have for you. How can they say that Christ is the son of David? Now, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he's saying of himself, how is it that the Old Testament writers could say that the son of David or that the Christ would be the son of David? He's giving them a riddle. Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now, that riddle may not mean as much to you living in the United States of America 2,000 years later, but this was a heavy riddle for them. 
And the reason it was because of the society in which they were raised. Not just knowing about the Messiah, not just memorizing the song that Jesus is quoting, but because they live in Palestine 2,000 years ago in what we would refer to as an honor-shame society. A society that was focused upon not shaming yourself, not shaming your family, not shaming your community, and giving honor to the people who deserve honor most. It was a very big value to them. And for a man in the days of antiquity to call his son Lord made no sense at all. It was taking honor and flipping it on its head. It would have been one of the highly irreverent things you could possibly do. And so Jesus asked the question, here's a question, how is it that David, who is the father of Christ, calls Christ his Lord? Now, two questions come to mind when I look at this riddle from Jesus. The first question is, why is he bringing up this point? The conversation is already over. Why does Jesus care? Like literally, why doesn't Jesus, these people have already proven they hate Jesus, they don't trust Jesus. We've read argument after argument from the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You remember the Sadducees, right? They didn't believe in the afterlife. That's why they were See, I told you you'd remember something. I knew you. I knew you'd remember something. And all these religious leaders have proven they hate Jesus. They want nothing to do with Jesus. So why is Jesus bringing up this point? The answer to that question is found in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. You see, there are three, go- there's four Gospels. That's the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And three of those gospel accounts, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, meaning they rhyme, they, they, they go along with each other. A lot of the same stories are found, but they have different views of each story. And so you can actually find extra content, extra understanding, a different viewpoint of every story or most of the stories. It's like extra DVD content to understand how the scene plays out. And when you look at this story in Luke, it doesn't include specifically what Mark says about the story, and it tells us Jesus' motivation for asking this question. Mark chapter 12 and verse 4, I'll put it on the screen, or verse 34, it says, now when Jesus saw that that he had answered wisely, Jesus asked them a question. Or Jesus said to, to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus ask this riddle? Here's why. Because he knew that there were some listening that were this close to getting saved. Yeah, it could be true that the majority of those self-righteous religious leaders were going to die and go to hell, but not all of them. And Jesus doesn't just care about the sinner. He cares about the self-righteous. Let me ask you this question. Does Jesus love the sinner, yes or no? Yes. Does Jesus love the self-righteous religious leader who thinks they're better than everybody else? Does he? Yes or no? And so what Jesus does is he addresses one last question. Maybe he could win over one last individual. Why is this true? Why is this important to understand? Because he was holding out hope for the scribes. See, among the people Jesus was talking to in the temple that day, there were men who, who were ready to get saved. Perhaps in the, perhaps in the group, you know, who, who may have been in the group, maybe, maybe Nicodemus was there. Remember Nicodemus? 
Nicodemus, all the way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, was a very important Pharisee, a very important man, and he came to Jesus by night, and he talked with Jesus, and we're going to find out a few days later, after Jesus does die and is buried and rises from the grave, Nicodemus is one of the ones who helped take Jesus down from the cross. It could be that Jesus keeps interacting with him because he wants Nicodemus to get saved. It could be. It could be not just Nicodemus. There could be a man in the crowd called Joseph of Arimathea. Who's he? Joseph of Arimathea was a very powerful religious leader who was a member of the Sanhedrin. Remember that court I talked about last week? He was so powerful and so wealthy and so connected and so religious. And maybe what Jesus was trying to do is win him over. It was Joseph of Arimathea who later on would help take the body of Jesus down and would take Jesus and bury him in his own tomb, the tomb of a wealthy man. So maybe Jesus was interacting because of this. It could be, it could be that Jesus was interacting because there was a young Pharisee that was listening to every word, that had been trained in the temple. He was like the next generation of the Pharisees that would lead the temple. A young man who we would not meet for many, many years to come. Does anybody know who this young Pharisee, who could have been right there in the crowd, listening to Jesus, as Jesus said, I have a riddle for you, a logical young man. Anybody can think of who might have been in the crowd in that moment? Who was it? Saul of Tarsus who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul, who writes much of the New Testament. So the question is, why does Jesus interact with these people who hate him? And the answer is because some of them might still get saved. Jesus doesn't give up on people easily. Neither neither should we. Who, Who is it in your life that has rejected Jesus Christ? And you think, man, they're, they're hopeless. Maybe they're following their own religious way to happiness, their own religious way to heaven. And you think, man, they're never gonna be a believer. Can I tell you this? God says in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Maybe you're here today and you think, well, if God hates me, then let him damn me. Friend, God doesn't hate you. He loves you and he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. There may be those who desire your harm. God is not among them. There may be those who desire your hurt. God is not one of them. God loves you. He created you and he's wanting the best for you. But what you must do in order to get from God his best is you must give up your own way. And for some of you, your own way is your way to heaven. For some of you, you're already Christian, but you don't want to give up your own way. Your religion is my own way to happiness. I will not be happy unless I do it my way. And God says, no, that door's closed. We're moving on. And the question is, will you follow God's way or are you going to backslide into your way? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, the Lord is not, the Lord is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Say it with me. Long-suffering. Do you know what the word long-suffering means? Does anybody know? If you know, say out loud. I knew you'd say patience. It means no, to suffer long. (laughs) Long suffering means that you suffer for a very long time 
with somebody. How many of you are married? Can I, I'm just, I'm just, I was, let me make my segue. Let me make my segue. You've put up with, they've put up with you for a very long time, right? Long suffering. It, it, you said patience. That's exactly what it means. It means that God is patient with you. I know what some of you are thinking, man, God is just like at any moment ready to damn me. I love this about God. God is patient. And whether he's patient with your sin that you won't give up or your own self-righteousness that you're better than everybody else and you're a victim, look, your sin or self-righteousness, God is sitting back saying, it's okay, I understand, you're hurt right now, I love you. And he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want your life to die and go to hell or spiral out of control. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is repentance? He wants you to repent of your way and say, God, your way is what I want. That's what he wants. So why is Jesus bringing up this point? That's a good question, which we've addressed. Number two, here's another question. Who is Jesus? That's the essence of what Jesus was getting at with this riddle. To really get the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians to recognize him, he needed them to understand who he was. So the question is, who is Jesus? Say it with me. Who is Jesus? The religious leaders believed that the Messiah was the son of David. They knew that. Everybody knew that. They believed him to be merely a man the Messiah would be merely, they did not believe Messiah would be God. They believed that Messiah would be merely a man, a good man, the best of men, but still just a man. And that's why the riddle is so fascinating because in the book of Matthew, the other account of this story, Jesus sets up the question by saying, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked the question saying, what do you think about Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, oh, everybody knows that. Messiah is going to be the son of David. And so then Jesus quotes a psalm that was written by David. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand, that I make thy enemies thy footstool. So here is the riddle that Jesus gives them. David said about the Messiah, his own son, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my king. You are my my God. See, David believed that his own son would be Messiah, King, Lord, and God. And that's the riddle. That's why in Matthew, Jesus said it this way to them. He said, if David then calls him Lord, how is he only his son? And no one was able to answer the question. Jesus proved in that moment logically and rationally, I am the Messiah, I am God, I am your Lord, and I am your King. Nobody could argue with it. So some of you might say, so they believed? No. Do you know why they did not believe? Because religion is irrational. At this point, some of you are thinking, if I just had all the rational reasons to explain to my mother, my friend, my coworker, my neighbor, if I had all the right answers to just answer them back, 
and I practice on social media and make everybody know Christians are idiots. Like, this is what I do. If I got all the right answers to argue the point, then they will rationally and logically follow Jesus. No, they won't because their religion is irrational. Friend, listen, listen to me. Your way to happiness, your way to God, it makes no sense for you to try to find your own way, and here's why, because you're not God. And we could give all the rational and logical reasons in the world to help you follow Christ and get to God through Christ, but the rationale and logic doesn't need to happen for you because it's irrational. See, the problem with these people that Jesus was talking about was not rational, logical talk. It was the fact that they would have to give up everything to follow Jesus. And they were not willing to do it. Think about it. Think about Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus in the middle of the night, sitting over a candle, talking to Jesus? Jesus is explaining him how to be born again, yet Nicodemus is not a believer yet. It takes him years of watching, following Jesus to become a believer and follower of Jesus. Why? Because when Nicodemus becomes a follower of Jesus, he has to give up his job, he has to give up his home, he has to give up his family, he has to give up his children, he has to give up his wife, he has to give up everything to follow Jesus. Think about Joseph of Arimathea, one of the most powerful men in the city. Joseph, to actually believe in Jesus, means that he has to turn his back on everything. So it's not about, give me a logical reason, it's about the fact that I have to give up everything I am. And that's exactly what Jesus wants you to give up. He wants, for some of you, you have to give up your job to follow Jesus. For some of you, you have to give up your identity to follow Jesus. For some of you, you have to give up your friends to follow Jesus. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's offering you heaven if you haven't been saved. Or if you have been saved, he's offering you happiness. But to get it, you have to let go of all your way and say, okay, I don't have a way. What do you got? And then he's going to send you down a path that you were not expecting. Why? Here's why. Because rationally and logically, you don't know where you're going. Real quick question when I ask the question. You say, what do you mean I don't know where I'm going? You're not God. He is. Now, I'm assuming. I'm going to ask the question, and it's a dangerous question for me to ask in Las Vegas. Is there anybody here that claims to be the God of heaven who created all things? Anybody here is like, that's me. I'm the God of heaven who created all things. Ushers, be ready. Anybody here who is God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent? Okay, so you're not God. He is. That's the point. It is totally irrational for you to create your own way to happiness and your own way to heaven when God says, how about I send my son to save your soul and give you a new path? His way. Religion is irrational, friend. Whether you create your own or you find one of the old ones with the eightfold path of enlightenment or the five pillars or the 10 commandments or whatever, whatever religion you want to create. It's irrational. Number two, 
What's wrong with religion, as the story continues, is religion is not only irrational, number two, we're going to see it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Religion in and of itself is really funny, and it's, it's interesting whenever, well, look at what it says in verse 45. Then, in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, okay, now picture it. Remember, Jesus is still there in the temple. All of the people are surrounding him. He's been arguing all day with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. He's talking to the scribes, and now they're done asking questions, and Jesus is done talking to them. So now he says out loud, in front of them, he says to his disciples, Beware of those people. Beware of the scribes who desire, who desire to go around in long robes. They love the greetings in the marketplace. Hello, Rabbi. Rabbi, hello, Rabbi, Rabbi. Hello, Pastor. Hello, Pastor. Hello, Father. There's people that, that's, that's what excites them. That's the religious hypocrite, the leader. They love to go around in long robes. They love the greetings in the marketplace. They love the best seats at the synagogues or the churches. They love the best places at the feasts. However, they devour widows' houses. More on that in a moment. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. (laughs) Have you ever ever known somebody to pray, but they were not really talking to God they were talking about God to you in front of a group of people. Have you ever heard somebody pray? Oh, Father, which one to heaven, hallowed be the name. <laughs> God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in there in, in, in me and in thine heart and soul and mind. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> I don't know what they're saying. They're not talking to God. You know what it is to pray? To pray, you go to God and say, Father, I got a problem. I need your help. But for a pretense, they make long prayers. And then it says, they will receive the greater damnation. They do all this, and they're going to go to hell worse than you're going to hell. More on that soon. Special perks, silly rules and suitable damnation. That's what religion is. Special perks, silly rules, suitable. It is ridiculous. You say, what do you mean long robes? Are you kidding me? This is what religion does. Let's get a bigger hat than the next guy. Let's get a longer robe. Let's look more holy. Let's look more religious. Now, some of you are just catching up. Some of you are like, wait a second. He's making, I think he's making fun of religion. Correct. Well, I, I think I'm offended. Perfect, perfect. Because now what we're doing is we are reflecting exactly what happened in the text. The religious people are offended because Jesus is pointing out the ridiculous nature of what they do. It's ridiculous. The rules are silly. By the way, humans are great at creating silly rules, aren't we? Not only for religion, but for, you know, local. I, here's the thing that humans love to do. We love to create rules for other humans. Don't we love to do that? For example, in Alabama, did you know bear matches are prohibited in Al- by law? Bear wrestling. You're not allowed to wrestle a bear in Alabama. Hey, if I want to wrestle a bear, I certainly probably am from Alabama. Um, I, it's a joke. And it's one that's going to 
Give me a whole night in the garage. I'll tell you that right now. Did you know in South Dakota that it's illegal to fall asleep in a cheese factory? Now, of all the rules I'm going to share with you, I'm probably for that one. I'm not sure why. In Arkansas, it's against the law to honk a car horn at a sandwich shop after 9 p.m. I want to know the story behind that. <laughs> There's a sandwich owner, shop, shop owner. This, this is like four years of his life to get that done. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is dead before God. You know about the law and the thing? You know, I did that too. I love this. Juno, Alaska, flamingo owners. If you, if you own a flamingo, you are prohibited from bringing that into a barbershop. <laughs> don't, don't. You keep that flamingo out of here. I, I got to be honest. I go to a barbershop at least once a month. If I'm sitting in a barbershop and somebody wants to bring a flamingo, totally cool with it. <laughs> I would love that moment. I would love that. Did you know in Fairbanks, Alaska, it's illegal to serve alcohol to a moose? It's true. It's true. Now, you might be on either side of this. I'm more of a libertarian, naturally. Like, I'm like, whatever you want to do, you do you, or let me do me. I'm, I'm a freedom guy, right? So, I'm interested in this room. How many of you, let's just split the church over this issue. How many of you are pro-moose and alcohol, like I am? I'm like, if you got a moose and want to give them a beer, totally fine. How many of you are like, fine with that? Give your moose a beer? What do I care? It's your moose. You know? Now, again, like if you're going to give my moose a beer, we have to talk. That's my moose. But how many of you are like, not me, man, not me. I am like totally against mooses and bear uh, beer. Uh, like this is not a good, like this is something, this is a problem for you. No beer for mooses. How many of you are no beer for mooses, people? Raise your hand. All right. Yeah, I know. It's a serious issue. Did you know in Minnesota... A woman is arrested if they dress as Santa Claus. There are some things that are sacred, my friend. <laughs> this one's great. Go to the next one. This one's fantastic. Did you know in Nicholas County, West Virginia, a preacher is not allowed to tell jokes from the pulpit? So I've never told you about my first pastorate. <laughs> It's just a joke, not a good one. <laughs> so Jesus is sitting there. Now get the imagery because it's very funny. Jesus is sitting there in the temple talking to these religious leaders in their long robes with their pompous attitudes. They're better than everybody else. And Jesus points them out and says, don't be like these people. They're ridiculous. Do you know the ridiculous laws that they were passing? like in the religion of their day. In their day, you could not spit on the Sabbath day because if you did, it would disturb the dirt and you would be guilty of plowing a field. This was the law that Jesus was under. During this time, you could not swat a fly on the Sabbath day because you would be guilty of hunting. A woman was not allowed to look in the mirror at her reflection because she might see a gray hair, pluck it out, which would be doing work. 
How many of you are like me? You're okay with a woman looking in the mirror seven days a week. Totally fine with that. How many of you are right? How many of you think there are some men around that should look in the mirror at least once a week? <laughs> that should be the law. That should be the law. This was all part of the ancient Judaism. If your house was burning down on the Sabbath, if you're in your house, the house is burning down, you are not allowed to carry clothes out. But there are loopholes. That's what we do with religions. We not only create weird rules, silly rules, but then we have loopholes for the rules so that we can get away with stuff. You weren't allowed to carry your clothes out. However, you could, you, whatever you were wearing, you could save. So you could put on as much clothes as you wanted while the fire was burning the house down and then run out with that and you were fine. You could not walk more than three-fifths of a mile from your house because if you did so, it was too much work. But if you, if you made a meal the, night, the day before and put that meal three-fifths of a mile away from you, then you could walk from your one abode to your second abode where your food is, and then you could walk another three-fifths of a mile from there. Loopholes. This is how man totally screws up who our relationship with God is, what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. Through ridiculous rules, through silly dress codes, and Jesus says, they will receive the greater damnation. Why? Because they're keeping people from God. You say, well, how do I get to God? Jesus said, there's only one way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. And what religion does, it's wrong in so many, well, what's wrong with religion? Religion is, number one, it's irrational. Number two, it's ridiculous. And then number three, it's harmful. It hurts people. The next story picks up in chapter 21, verses one through four. You have to see it, and it's connected in context. Remember, back in the early days, there were no chapter markings in your Bible. It would just come in one big scroll. So the book of Luke would have been one big scroll. The next story would have not said story number 21. It would have just been the next story. Remember where Jesus is? Where is Jesus physically in this moment? Where is he? Where is Jesus standing teaching? You say it to me, where is he? He's in the temple. He's in the big temple in Jerusalem. Now, as he's there, the Bible says, Jesus now in verse one, moves from the temple where he's teaching over to the treasury that's in the temple. And look what it says, look what it says. And he looked up and he saw a rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Have you ever heard this story before? The two mites of the widow? So the rich were doing what the rich do. They were coming into the church or the, uh, the, the temple at the time. They're putting all their money in. Everybody was giving their tithes and offerings and Jesus was watching. Remember, there's a big celebration. The Passover was coming. So people were traveling from all over and part of the worship was to come worship God by giving tithes and offerings. And then he noticed a woman, a poor widow, who the Bible says had two mites. And later on, we're gonna find out these are her last two mites. This was not a tithe, a 10% of what somebody had. This was everything that, th that she had. 
and she gave her two mites in verse three. And so he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of these have given out of their abundance. They have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in even her livelihood, all that she had. Okay. Yes, certainly she is to be admired. And I believe Jesus admires her. She, he says, it's, a, it's amazing that she's willing to give everything to God. But the point of the passage is not to wring more pennies out of poor people. And that's how this passage is often used in, in, in religion. You don't have much? Give it all to God like this wonderful. In context, it's used as an illustration by Jesus to show what the corrupt religious leaders are doing to the poor. Of course they can tip God and give God and sacrifice to God. They've got lots, but now you've got this poor widow with two mites and she puts those in and he says, this is the ultimate ending of what religion does. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Old women who are stuck at home and they watch on the television and there's some religious shyster, some shamster, selling God at little bottles of oil and little, I want God, I want God, and living on a fixed income and send us a check and all you gotta do is deposit with us and God's gonna give you more. Some use the name of God, some use the name of their own God, money, riches, all you have to do is, and they'll scam you with phone calls and emails. It's not just that this modern religion of you can have more money if you, and what are they doing? They're taking advantage of the poor. Happens in places all the time. Friend, can I just be very clear with you? Very clear. If you have, and God has blessed you, and you say, yeah, God has blessed me, I wanna give a portion back to God, Awesome, that's what Heather and I do. But if you don't have finances to eat and take care of yourself, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't let some religious con artist con you out of your last two mites to harm you. Religious scammers are constantly doing this. We see this throughout history and it happens to this day. This is what's wrong with religion. Now, hear me. Jesus is done interacting with these religious leaders. He ends by saying, don't you see how irrational your religion is? I proved my point and you still don't want to believe because you don't want to give up your own God. How ridiculous religion is, don't follow them. Look how ridiculous they are and how harmful religious is, religious is. And at that very moment, it must have been awkward for the disciples because one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, um, have you seen how beautiful the temple is? C come on, let's take a tour. And so they do, they take Jesus on a tour of the temple like he'd never been there. 
Look at this beautiful thing, this beautiful thing. And then Jesus says something in the next verses. He says, I promise you something that nobody knows. Very soon, there will not be one stone left on another. And after he said that, it got quiet. He took his disciples out of Mount Zion, across the Kidron Valley, up on the Mount of Olives. And there he shares with them the story of the apocalypse. And that's where we're gonna pick up next week. We're gonna find out next week how Jesus saw all of this corruption was destroying their society and how the same corruption is destroying ours. You do not wanna miss next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of this passage and my prayers that you would help us to be willing to give up our way for your way. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, before we go today, I want to give you a moment. For some of you, I believe right now, God is calling you away from your own way to heaven by rejecting your religion and receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Josh, pray for me, I'm not sure that I've ever been saved, but I need to turn my back and follow his way to heaven, not my own way to heaven. At the end of the sermon, would you come forward and talk with me and say, let's go to coffee and talk about how I can be saved, how I can give Jesus my life, how I can follow his way? For some of you, you need to let go of your religion that's leading you to, you think is leading you to heaven. For the Christian in the room, maybe right now what God is doing is God is saying, let go of your own way to happiness. Your way to happiness is only leading to your own misery. Follow his way. Would you let go and give it to God?